When Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. When he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. There's so much information in that one sentence. One sentence. When Jesus heard that John was arrested, it says he heard about it. He got his information secondhand. He wasn't there. This would lead us to believe that actually Jesus and John were not working close together. They were two separate movements, not the same at all, which might also explain why later on in the story, we learned that John had some doubts about whether Jesus really was the Messiah. Interesting also is the word rested. That's not a liberal translation. The more liberal translation is that he was delivered up. Delivered up. And that's the same word that would be used later on for Jesus. He was delivered up to the authorities in Jerusalem. Finally, notice that Jesus withdrew to Galilee. To Galilee. This was his home. This was, this was where he was from. This was his own area, if you will, Galilee. Jesus was not a Judean. John was a Judean. He came from the hill country of Judea. Not Jesus. Now, in the eyes of Galilean, uh, of Judeans, the Galileans were kind of second-class citizens. You know that. They were, they were, well, if you're from America, most of you aren't, but they were the West Virginians, okay? People kind of behind the times. When the Northern Kingdom, the old Northern Kingdom, had been invaded, this was about 150 years before, 140 years before the Southern Kingdom was invaded. The best and the brightest of that kingdom were taken into exile, and they never came back. In the southern kingdom, Judea, there was also an exile, but those people returned. They returned after their exile. Not so in the north. In the north, the people were scattered. The best and the brightest were taken away, and all that were left were, were the common people, the ordinary people, the people of the land. Then the land was repopulated by Gentiles. So Galilee had these people who were always the simple people, common people, and then a huge influx of Gentiles. So the population was very mixed. Thus the Judeans looked down on them. They were, as it were, a second-class people. A lower-class people. Can you remember what, what Nathaniel said when Philip told him about Jesus? He asked, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That is, Nazareth in Galilee? It wasn't thought to be a great place, a second-class province. And this was Jesus' background. This was Jesus' own background. And, and I ask you, does this tell us something about Jesus? Maybe it tells us something we don't usually even ask or think about. What kind of person was he coming from this background? Where would his sympathies lie coming from this background? Would it have made a difference, maybe? And this may also tell us why the authorities in Jerusalem were so unsympathetic to him when he came south. You know, 
I don't, we haven't read this anywhere, but I'll bet he spoke with a Galilean accent. We know that some of his disciples did because the Bible tells us that. He probably did too. Now, how would he not speak with a Galilean accent? He was one of these people. One of those people. Okay. So our lesson tells us that Jesus withdrew to Galilee to Capernaum by the sea. This was, Matthew said, so that what had been spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land was Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and for those who sat in the region in shadow of death, light has dawned. Well, did you notice the tenses of all the verbs? tenses of all the verbs, they are all past, all past tense. When Jesus withdrew to Galilee, to the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, the people saw a great light. And for those who sat in the region in shadow of death, on them light has dawned. If you remember the first lesson that Daniel read this morning, it's, it's the very lesson that this text comes from. Only there, all the verbs are future. Every single verb is future. In fact, if you look carefully at that, at least as it's translated in English, you'll, in English, you'll find that there are 11 uses of the word will in four verses. The word will is used 11 times in four verses. Galilee will be filled with joy. The people will see a great light. On them, light will shine. God will enlarge the nation. They will rejoice. God will break the oppressor's rod. And on and on and on. All in the future tense. When Jesus comes, when he returns to Galilee, all the tenses are changed. All the tenses are changed. The future is fulfilled. He is the light of which Jesus speaks. With his coming, a new light. New light has dawned, and whenever he comes, wherever he comes, that new light still shines. It still shines. Time is fulfilled, even here, even now, even for you. I want to notice also the first words of his ministry. As his ministry begins, he says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come here. Actually, I like the older and more literal translation much better, where it says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's a literal translation. It's at hand. What does it mean when something's at hand? If your book is at hand, where is it? Right there. If your, if your scissors are at hand, where are they? Right there. If your screwdriver is at hand, where is it? Well, it's right there. If the kingdom is at hand, where is it? Well, it's right there. I mean, to say this coming here, that, that, that's true. But it doesn't tell us the same thing when you say it's at hand. It's just right there. So close that you can reach out and touch it. Then and now, in Jesus Christ, the kingdom is at hand among us right now. But do not be confused. The kingdom is not a place, and it is not heaven itself. 
It is his reign, his rule, his authority. The people, the people rejoice because something new has come. Not a new place. They're still in the old place. They're still in Galilee. But something utterly new has come. Something new. His rule, his reign, his authority. And when he comes, everything changes. People rejoice because the oppressive rod has been broken. And you can see this in the paragraphs that follow. We only get one verse of what follows, but that's that's good enough. It says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and curing every disease and sickness among the people. This is the reign of God. This is the good news of which he spoke. A new day of healing and forgiving and loving for all people. Even the most common people, the people of the land, the poor of the land, the sick and the sinners. This is the reign of God. This is the kingdom of heaven. And it's still the same. It's still the same today. This is his ministry. This is his promise. It's still the same for you and me. He comes to heal to love and accept his people. You and me, that's, that's what he's come for. You and me. To heal us, give us wholeness forever, even now. There's still one more thing to look at in this lesson. Actually, one more word. Just one word. He said, repent! Repent. Kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent. We have talked about this word many, many times. People often think, maybe you think, that it means you're supposed to feel bad. You're supposed to beat your breast and lament your sins. Well, it can't mean that. And sometimes there are appropriate times and places where it ought to mean that. That's not the primary meaning of the word. Its primary meaning, as I've told you a dozen times, is to turn around. To go in a new direction. You're going this way, and you turn around and go this way. You see? Or to change your mind. You're thinking this way about something. And all of a sudden, something happens, and you change your mind, and you think this way. That's what it means to repent. It means to change your mind, go in a new direction. Guess what? That's exactly what happened to Peter and Andrew, James and John. Now it doesn't say they repented, but that's what they did. That's exactly what they did. Jesus came along and said, follow me. And what did they do? They quit fishing for fish and started fishing for people. They left their, their parents, their boats, their nets. They left it, and it says immediately, they were going this way, and they started going this way. That's what it is to repent. Repentance is about change, radical change, radical turning. And this is what they did. It doesn't say anything about them feeling sad. In fact, you get the exact opposite impression. They heard something good, wonderful, and they just what? They couldn't help themselves. They had to go, right? There's nothing here about beating their breasts and feeling sad. 
it's all good news. And so it is for you and me. For you and me. When Jesus comes, he calls us to repent. To repent. To repent and think about that. To repent. He isn't necessarily calling us to feel bad about ourselves or beat our breasts. He's calling us to follow him. To turn around. To turn away from what our old life may have been to turn toward something utterly new. Calling us to a life of joy and fulfillment. That's what he's calling us to. To, to forgiveness and acceptance and healing. This is his call. It's his call to you and me everyone else. He comes to us. Here I say it, come to ordinary people. Galileans. That's who we are, Galileans. But for him, there are no second class people. There are no second-class people. There are no people who are beneath his dignity. We are all his people, you and me. We are his people. We are the beloved. We are the forgiven. We are the accepted. Right now, he calls us to follow. He calls us to repent, to turn. You know, it's, it's as if somebody came in and said, you won the lottery. Thank you. 